Welcome to the Psychology Podcast. In our first episode with Marshall Taylor, myself, Clifton, and our special guest this week, Mike Baker. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Are you going to say my, my, my cycling name since this is a cycling podcast? You could just read it on the, the bike that... Mad I, Mikey B. Marshall so uh, carefully scrutinized that I had to meet his seal of approval before I was even allowed to sit down on the sofa. Mad, Mad Mikey B on the Silver White S-Works Vinge? Is that... That Marshall had to give me a pass on for rolling uh, SRAM Red. I'm not sure if he gave you a pass, but <laughs> he did that. notice your bar tape was a little bit scruffed. It is. I did notice that he uh, he pointed that out from jump. Not, oh, that's a nice bike. His first comment was, oh, you know, your bar tape's messed up. That's that's bike mechanic's job, right? <laughs> like, that's the first thing you notice. Like, that's what you grab. The scruff tape. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was the tape, the bars. If it's messed up, it's right there. You know it. Brushed for your handling. And maybe you like it like that. You could have cut it. I don't know. The thing about that is I tend to fall, luckily, non-drivetrain side. <laughs> but, yeah, the first the first time I ever raced that bike, I laid it down. It was uh, the only race of 2020. And coincidentally, my only crash of 2020. <laughs> well, congratulations. Yeah. It was a state road race. What state? Well, it was, it was Indiana. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of states. <laughs> How many? How Mike, many states 50. are there? Fifty. <laughs> Mike, Mike does live in Indiana, presently. So. I do. Yeah. Do, should we go around the horn and introduce everybody? We can. Or was that the introduction? I think that was the introduction. I think. Okay. I think mostly revolves around bar tape at this point. <laughs> uh, circling around. Yeah. I'm. I'm Mike Baker. I live uh, presently in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. People do kind of refer to me as Mad Mikey B. I got that name in New Jersey playing soccer. Uh, I was a pretty miserable prick in New Jersey, and all these Italian guys from uh, Naples that I'd play ball with, I'd show up and they go, "Ah, oh, Matt Mikey is here." Man, my my girlfriend always gets on me about my accents. That sounded more like Count Chocula than an Italian guy, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Marshall, you got to say yes. You can't just nod your head, but it's. Uh, I said yeah. It's TV, not video. <laughs> You're right. It does. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of embraced it, and uh, it was kind of fitting. But, uh, anyway, circling back, full circle here. 2020, Indiana State Road Race. Yeah. You're welcome, Marshall. Thanks. Yeah, I I think like everybody, I, I trained my butt off, and, you know, you're ready to, to race. 2019 was the first year I started working with Ryan Knapp, and, you know, he really kind of showed me what was possible with proper coaching. And then 2020 rolls around. You get a, a year of racing with a coach. You see what your own potential is. You're ready to go. COVID hits. Right. There's one race. So, of course, I'm going to do it. It's all on the line for that one race. Absolutely. So, it's Indiana State Road Race, Lawrenceburg, rectangle course, really simple, not technical, wide streets, four turns. I got myself in the break and was in the break for about yeah, seven Corner laps. Road, uh, well, how long was a lap. I don't know, man. You had to go over the railroad tracks twice. How long is that? <laughs> but I knew I was way out of my depth when I look up and I see basically, yeah, the Texas Roadhouse squad, the guy who kept looking back, wondering why the fat guy was tailgunning. Uh, you know, he had a national champion helmet on. So I sat up and then I saw my, my daughter's coach, John Singleton, kind of nod and give me the thumbs up going, yeah, that's pretty good. Go back to the pack, and now I just feel like uh, you know a shark among the seals. You're you're rolling with the big guys, and you're 600, 700 watts in the straight with a tailwind, holding on barely at the back. Wow! And then you just get in the raffle with uh, the other forty guys, and it's just comfortable. Mm-hmm. 
So I sat there for, gosh, it was a long race. I want to say it was like 45 or 60 minutes. Second to last lap, one guy breaks, crashes into my now friend, Chris, who is another big guy. So I'm drafting him. He goes down in front of me. Uh, I tried to bunny hop him. Almost made it. (laughs) Yeah, my rear wheel hit his hip. Straight down I go, scuffed bar tape. And uh, yeah, up I went. So I finished second to last. But luckily I was uh, third guy from Indiana. So made the podium that day. How about that? Boom. That's where the state championship comes in, right? (laughs) So yeah, left drop, scuffed bar tape. Left it there. Uh, Chris and I ended up being great friends to this day. Amazing guy. Uh, his son, Corin, doing really well in racing. Finally, get around to replacing the bar tape. Guess how many crashes I had in 21? More I was getting ready to say, like, that raises another flag for me if, like, you crashed in 2020 and that's still the bar tape. Well, Because no, you we, hadn't gotten to this part. So tape. now <laughs> you yeah, had was, one uh, crash in 21 and did the exact same thing. Pretty much. In a different scenario. No, no, no spoilers there. <laughs> you didn't bunny hop, Chris. You just crashed. Uh, very true, yeah. This one, I uh, I tried to, I didn't even try to bunny hop. I tried to drift through gravel, I guess. Oh, even but, yeah. better. That's, that's, that's much more successful. Straight down. So, yeah, ruined bar tape. Ruined uh, ASOS bibs. Uh, that's much more painful yeah, than the fun. bar tape. But, you know, thank you for looking at uh, all the bling on that bike, the oversized purple jockey wheels, the purple hubs, the purple black custom iridescent decals everywhere. I mean, if I want people to see stuff, I'm going to put that stuff not against the wall. <laughs> see, it's all in your placement of the bike. The bike is drive, drive side towards the wall. You got nice rotors. Your pads might be a little worn, but I mean, other than that, what's there to see other than the? Is that your professional messed opinion? up bar tape? That my pads are worn? Maybe I don't know. I didn't look. <laughs> You're saying it's a possibility. He's guessing by the the state of your bar tape that your pads might also be worn. Two year old bar tape. What's that say about your pads? <laughs> it's not two year old bar tape. I think I got those clicks back in uh, uh, maybe like February. There you go. So, yeah, it's not too old. So it's also gone down, and the, the, the bar tape has also been destroyed in 2022, along with 2021 and 2020? No, Or I just is that still 2021 uh, bar tape? No, it is 2021 bar tape. Reused it to save some dollars. <laughs> it is. Oh, super, super Caz is expensive. Cycling's not cheap, as we know. <laughs> as we know. So to back up a little bit, Mike, how, how did you fall into cycling? And I, I think you mentioned earlier in our conversations that you bought your first bike around 1990. Is that... Yeah, you know, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. All kids kind of had bikes, and I could never afford bikes. My mom finally bought me my first bike, I think when I was in fifth grade, and uh, it was it was good fun. It was a BMX bike, probably from Sears. My brother and I both had them, and we beat them to death, and uh, it was good fun. You know, in high school, I kind of got away from cycling a little bit, was more into punk rock and skateboarding, kind of went hand in hand, but then I, I kind of wandered into Matthew's bikes sometime around 1990. And I saw these mountain bikes because that was a thing. And I lived on Fort Bend. It was a wooded area. You know, you would see the trails when I was running through there for uh, rugby practice. And it was like, oh, that looks like fun. So I walked into Matthews. I picked out a bike. Uh, the current owner, Nancy, she sold it to me. What bike was it? It was a GT Timberline. No, it was a GT. It was state of the art, buddy. Yeah. It had, uh, My first like real bike was a GT 
It was a mountain bike. Triple triangle, all that. Triple triangle construction. I remember that. It was rigid. Yeah. Full rigid. Oh, full rigid. Yeah. But it had... uh, Didn't even have the SR Sun Tour 80 millimeter We Don't Work forks. This was pre. (laughs) This was pre that. That was not a thing yet. This did have a very new state-of-the-art piece of tech on it. It was called trigger shifting. But yeah, I remember it was $395, which in 1990, when you're washing golf carts at Hillcrest Country Club for $4 an hour, that's a lot of golf carts. Right. Uh, So I think, you know, between golf carts and mowing lawns, I had it on layaway for probably, you know, it would have been three weeks, but it was four weeks because Nancy made me buy a helmet too. (laughs) I don't know what she was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, so that was we, great. We could, have, we could have shortcut a lot of this. Right? So, yeah, that was the first bike, and, and my friends ended up buying them, and we rode all over Fort Bend, and it was just good fun. Um, I ended up selling that bike to a really good friend of mine that actually we had a karate school together for a while. He was a Mormon. He took it on his mission, so he rode it. I think he went to New Mexico. Rode around New Mexico for two years, came back, and uh, abruptly got it stolen. Yeah. So when I, when I got into cycling, I actually tried to, to, I got back into cycling. I tried to, uh, buy that bike from him, but I kind of got out of it and, uh, you know, sold that bike to that gentleman and I started playing soccer again. You know, soccer was something that I really loved when I was a kid, kind of got away from in high school, you know, at the club level, it's just so expensive. I thought I'd find a cheaper sport, cycling. Cycling yeah. is not it. <laughs> Obviously, cycling is the cheapest sport to, to jump into. Started playing indoor soccer. You know, started out, uh, part of that was my own journey, my own recovery. Um, you know, I had some substance abuse issues in my early 20s, and just sport was a way to, to help me stay clean. Sure. Help me achieve things and stay on the straight and narrow. So it was soccer. I did that for, gosh, 15 years at that point, and uh, I gave up two ACLs, dislocated shoulders, you know, who knows how many concussions, played goalkeeper. Fast forward, you know, five years in New Jersey, corporate gig, eating like, uh, you know, like a fat kid. And, you know, I blew all the way up to 300 pounds. Wow. 300 pounds. And at this point, you know, your, your ACLs are blown. You've right. had four knee surgeries. Soccer's no more. Right. And so it's like, how are you going to get fit? And I went to a paint store in Carmel, and there happened to be a bike shop next door. So I walked in there, and uh, I walked out with another mountain bike. It's like, oh, this is fun. I used to do this. And that was sometime around probably 2010. So when did you end up in Indianapolis or Carmel or wherever you ended up from New Jersey? This is called a non sequitur, huh? (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just trying to connect this, this the dots. Is, this, is, like, this is where Marshall's brain kicks in. Yeah, for us yeah, to stay on, this, yeah. on the on the narrow path. Well, Army brat. Um, so born in Utah, lived there till I was nine. Uh, my mom couldn't take it anymore, so she shipped my brother and me off to uh, live with our dad in Oklahoma City. Uh, so six months in Oklahoma City. In the interim, she joined the Army. So now I become an Army brat. Go back to live with my mom in Texas. Uh, she gets stationed in. Indianapolis at Fort Bend. Okay. So three and a half years in Indianapolis, Lawrence Central High School. After high school, down to Texas for college for two years. And then, uh, you know, now it's like, okay, you've bounced all over the place during your formative years. Where are you going to go? It's like, well, you're going to go back to the place where you have friends, which was Indianapolis. So I came back to Indianapolis at uh, age 19, started my career, was just about to move away and uh, met my ex-wife. So I ended up hanging out there for a decade. 9-11 9-11 happens. Uh, everything in, uh, I'm architect by trade, director of architecture at Arbor Homes. Uh, everything in building 
design. It all kind of goes south after 9-11. Everything kind of comes to a screeching halt. Uh, she's a scientist, and her job took us to New Jersey. So five years out there, and then came back to Indianapolis in 09. Been there ever since. I got and somewhere in the middle there, I went from a three-time national karate champion to a 300-pound office geek with a resting heart rate that uh, Maybe Garfield the cat would be envious of. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, yeah, you know, your joints are blown. What can you do? And I remembered that I loved riding mountain bikes as a kid. I walked into the bike shop and, you know, I bought a mountain bike. From there, you start trying to figure out, oh, I can't ride the trails in the springtime in Indianapolis because everything's so muddy. So back to Matthews, I get a fitness bike, a specialized Cirrus. I start riding the bike path. You know, the first time I rode from 146th Street on the Monon, 16 miles to downtown and back. Uh, so what is that about? Is that 16 miles one way or is that? Yeah. So 16 times two, what's that about 32 miles? Yeah. Give or take. You're the math guy. So <laughs> the engineer, the engineer was asking about like, why are you asking me? <laughs> it was your ride. You should know. What was your average speed? Well, that's, that's where I was going with that. Uh, average speed was turtle. I don't know. I mean, it would take me like, uh, Four or five hours. There you go. And you just start, you know, building from there, building from there. And then you figure out, okay, I'm pretty good at this. Maybe this is fun. It doesn't feel like working out. Right. I didn't and, fall over. Well, yeah. that, that happened once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> so, you only did that once you got really good. Right. Yeah. That like comes said, with practice. Right. That's probably, we're probably up to like, you know, 2012 at this point. I'm starting to mountain bike more. Gosh, how did it? You know, just one thing One thing took over the other. You know, obviously I was losing weight. Right. And then I got my first drop bar road bike, I want to say in 2014. It was a Ridley Damocles, okay. which my brother still owns. And, it's uh, English, right? It's Belgian. Belgian. Belgian, yeah. Marshall, you'll like this. I always kind of feel like, you know, you have forks in the road in life. And if you go one way, that's your fate. You go the other way, you have a completely different fate. And uh, the choices were a Ridley Damocles with Force 1. No, not Force 1. It was just Force Double Tap. I think at that time, everything was 10-speed. Yeah, or... 2 by 10 Yeah, yeah, 2 by 10 It was a uh, BMC something or other with DI2. That's a tough choice. I probably would have gone Ridley yeah. at that point. I was going to say, with Marshall's love of BMC, I think he might even... I mean, I do like BMC. Yeah. Well, I went with, I'm on a finite amount of money here, and right. the better deal was the Ridley. Right. And so, yeah, that was. Thus, thus began my, my journey down the SRAM rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> As Mike looks expectantly at Marshall waiting for a reaction. I, mean, <laughs> I am trying to deviate, trigger him a little bit. Like you can deviate whenever you want <laughs> and get out of that. <laughs> to be fair, I, I have tried DI2 over the years, and, you know, I'm, but a simple man. I mentioned, you know, I'm a former martial artist, former goalkeeper. I've been concussed a lot. And the thought of trying to switch between, you know, a, a Formula One style, right hand is harder, left hand is easier. That's how my bike's set up, and it's DI2. Well, why do you have to bring technology into this argument and try and sway me from my... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's possible to make it work for you. That's the beauty of technology. Programmable? It's, yeah. I can change it. Well, see, you might have just sold me because uh, I, I love the SRAM Red stuff. Uh, it's been good to me. SRAM's been really good to me. But I was on a ride with my aforementioned 
friend Chris right. that I crashed into and we became sure, great buddies. Attempted buds. to bunny hop. Yeah, attempted to bunny hop. But he's he's a big chunk of coal, let me tell you. I think he's a Viking. We're riding and he's like got the same bike computer at me as me, only his hands are on the hoods and his screens on his Garmin are magically changing. And I'm like, how are you yeah. doing that? He's got a DI too and can connect it and control it through the hidden buttons. Correct Amundo. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, man, I'm usually that guy. Why don't I have that? Right. And now that you're telling me I can set DI2 up where I can do my, you know, right hand, left hand, yeah, so flappy like, paddle shifty. Ooh. Yeah. Like, okay. So on my bike, which is DI2, the two back buttons control the rear derailleur. Right side makes it harder. Left side makes it easier. Okay. The two front buttons control the front derailleur. Right side makes it harder. Left side makes it easier. It's the same concept as what SRAM did with their ETAP setup with the single paddle. It's just you don't have to press both at the same time to move the front derailleur. It's just that small button on the front is what controls it. probably makes it easier to eat on the bike, right? I don't know. (laughs) Marshall only eats either before the ride or after the ride. Once. Either once, either or. Really, I struggle just to keep up enough where I barely get the time to drink, much less eat. I'm like, I can't, I can't risk, you know, taking three pedal strokes off. I'll get dropped. Or his wheels might cause a cramp. And- yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot. Well, we can circle back to crampy wheels. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, so. yeah. So I got the got the drop bar bike, and I, I started riding. It's also the first time I ever wore uh, bibs, not baggy shorts, which was another adventure all on its own when you weigh 260 pounds. Right. And uh, so fast forward 2015, I go to my first bike race, Mass Ave Crit, downtown Indy, and I'm watching these guys and I'm like, I'm faster than these guys. I'm faster. And they're like, uh, the fat guy's over there having delusions of grandeur. And it's like, all right. So my ex-wife was already on a team at that point. I I joined the same team some really strong racers on that team and uh, I picked their brains. I'm sure I drove some of them crazy because I'm relentless with my aggressive thirst for knowledge. But uh, if this happens, what do I do? What do I do here? How do you do this? What about this? It's 2016. I raced for the first time. Third race I've entered, Mass Ave Crit. Won it. Thought, all right, maybe I have... Uh, 16? 16. And aside... Was that the downtown Crit by the Monument? I think I said downtown Indy. No, downtown in, downtown Crit by the Monument. That's that's Indy Crit. I won okay. that last that's year. Was- yeah, sorry. That was my win. You just stepped on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, as an aside, funny sidebar to Mass Ave Crit, another one of your future guests was in that race. And uh, we knew each other through social media. And the first time I ever met him, like in person, it's like, oh, hey, it's nice to finally meet you. And he's like, yeah. Looked up on Strava, and we were in that race together. I'm like, which race? He goes, you won. I'm like, oh, yeah, that race, of course. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, from there, you you just start thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. And, you know, the thing with me is I tend to overdo everything. Too much is not enough. And it's kind of like, all right, how do I get faster? You buy purple hubs. You do buy purple hubs. Industry 9, Asheville, North Carolina, American made. But it just one thing kind of, you know, takes over, becomes the catalyst, the thing you're driving towards. And for me, it was just being being the best racer I could be. And it's like, how do you want to go faster on the bike? Well, obviously you need to get more powerful, but you also need to lean out. And so as a result, you know, it pushed me to look at my diet, look at, you know, my training, 
And so 16, 17, 18, gosh, I think I went from 260 down to probably about 220. Wow. You know, 19, I think 19 was the year I started working with Ryan Knapp. Uh, and, you know, he just, he really, really showed me the proper way to train. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I actually, it was the first time I think I hired a nutritionist okay. and you start counting macros, things like that, actually planning your food. And, you know, my lightest race weight there, I think I was like 191. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Which was good because uh, the race I had that year fit, you know, best shape of my life. Uh, the Ozark Epic, that was my target A race for the year, uh, 50 miles mountain bike race, 43 of which were single track. And I managed to have three flats, two mechanicals and a crash. <laughs> so, Thank goodness you're at the, the peak of your life at that moment. You were ready yeah. to change those tires. Yeah. So my, uh, my, my so let's t- talk about tubeless for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> my time in that race was actually, I think seven minutes slower than 2018 when I was on my own training. I was 22 pounds, 25 pounds heavier. Right. And I remember I was like the last guy, the guy who finishes last in the Olympics. It was like, man, all that training, right. all that sacrifice, I'm finishing last in the Olympics. I mean. I could have done none of the training. Right. I could have done this. No, anyway. you couldn't because then you wouldn't have been there. Why do you have to bring logic into I'm the comedy, saying. bud? <laughs> <laughs> the worst person at the Olympics is still better than 99% of the people on the planet. I'll have to take your word for it. All the others didn't make it there. Admittedly. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. I also didn't try. But. True, true. <laughs> but that's that's kind of how I got into cycling. You know, I, I started riding a bike because I physically really couldn't do much else. Right. You know, that running was out. You know, both my daughters played soccer, yeah. and I was always a coach and until recently. And, uh, you know, I'd go coach soccer for an hour and a half, and my knee would be a toaster. Yeah. My knee would be a volleyball. From, yeah. So how does cycling affect your knees? I've never blown an ACL yet. Knock on wood. So, right, yeah. So, like, how does that type of injury impact you on the bike? Well, it doesn't, which is yeah. why the bike works very well. I'm sure, you know, you probably have some detrimental effects, you know, from not having an ACL in your knee. But usually, uh, ACL, well, not usually, an ACL does provide lateral stability. Right. And so, you know, most of the time on cycling, particularly road biking, it's just a linear up and down, straight forward and back motion. You know, obviously mountain biking, you're whipping through single tracks. Sometimes you will have some lateral movement on your knee. Definitely, I feel more sore after, you know, ripping through, especially really twisty single track like Town Run or, or Fort Bend. You know, there's some, some trails in Bentonville that are really, really tight. And, you know, my knee will get really sore if I ride those four or five times. But by and large, you know, with proper bike fitting, right, you, you won't have knee pain, and it's your your impact is so much lower than anything else. You're Zero. not, you're right. Yeah. You're not dealing with that as well, right? But it's still Unless that repetitive motion <laughs> of your knee extension and contraction. So that's why I wasn't sure how that kind of yeah well came into play. Like if just the constant up and down. Well, certainly I've had you know nights. more so than say swimming. Well, I'm sure swimming is probably best, but you know, you, you can't get hit by a car while you're swimming. So what's the what's the fun in that? <laughs> there's no there's no bar tape to replace. Yeah, there's right. there's no hubs. There's no where do you where do you put the purple blade? Need purple right. goggles. Purple, <laughs> purple swim goggles. cap, purple speedo. <laughs> 
Purple Speedo. Uh, See? Nail polish. You got all kinds of purple that you can use. I feel like you fleshed this out. I mean, that's just off the top of my head. <laughs> you just spitballing? Yeah. Has, hasn't even really thought that through. <laughs> I mean, there's not that many things that you need to swim. So so going from a couple races on your own and, and gaining, gaining the knowledge that you did along the way, the fitness, losing the weight, all those things... We know each other more because of maybe Ronan. So what what got you geared up to decide to have your own cycling non-team team? <laughs> the the anti-team team? Right. Yeah. Before we go to that, let's let's circle back on Marshall's point really fast. You know, I think that you circled enough around that. I which think. point? So, I mean, hey, go for it. <laughs> the only the- <laughs> The only thing I wanted to, the only point I wanted to make there, the only, the only thing I think it's important to touch on is I think one of the beauties of cycling is that it is something that you can do at some level your entire life. Right. Our team, Ronan Vila Sport, we have members who range in age from my niece, you know, who was doing a race at seven years old to my mother who, I'm not going to tell you how old she is, but uh, she's my mother and I'm 47. You can extrapolate from there. She looks amazing, though, I must say. At least 55. At least 55. <laughs> well, we are Hispanic. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, my mother, uh, who rides her bike on uh, the canals, you know, in Arizona in the mornings. Uh, you know, my father, also a senior citizen, he rides quite a bit down in Texas. Uh, you know, it's it's something that regardless of your health status, regardless of the, you know, brutal condition of your body. Uh, you know, if you have the knee of a, a 90 year old and you need a shoulder replacement and you have central spinal stenosis, you can, uh, do at, uh, you know, some level your entire life. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I started racing in 16, you know, I was on a team and, uh, it was great. Great team. What got you on a team at that point? I mean, I guess it's- I think that I just wanted to be part of something. It's like everybody else who I saw that was racing and was racing at a high level, which if I'm doing anything, I want to be at the highest level I can. They were all on teams. And, you know, it didn't take a genius, which I am not, to figure out that uh, if you want to be good at something, seek out people who are better than you. Sure. Yep. And then go play with them. How long did you race? independently never you never right i joined a team and did my first race okay 16 yeah but uh no it was great it was a great experience a lot of great people on that team but you know within the culture of teams and just kind of cycling in general particularly road cycling i just felt like there was this culture which which didn't really match my own you know I, i started out mountain biking and mountain biking culture is a lot different than road bike culture. I always joke that mountain biking is like the Lebowski of the cycling world where roadies are usually just so stiff. They're so elitist. It's a lot like soccer. You know, no one wants you on their soccer team until they see you can play and you have to get entree that way. I I never liked that. I thought, you know, we all do the same thing. No one's getting paid for this unless you win a race, but you know, you usually get half that entry fee yeah you really break even at that <laughs> but point you yeah. spent twice that much money getting there so but even as early as i'd say probably 18 i started thinking that i wanted to do something on my own that's just sort of 
how I'm wired. You know, I started playing soccer. I always had my own soccer teams, came up to a martial arts. Eventually I had my own school. I'm just kind of a self-starter. You know, when I do something long enough, I just want my own version of it. To back up one second there, what was your incentive to want to race? I mean, what, why did I want to race? Yeah. What was competitive, competitive yeah. juices. It's like, if you're going to do something and there's a competition and you're already doing that, why not see how you stack up that? And when I saw, you know, the rides I was doing, the group rides I was doing, and I felt like I was, you know, usually in the front kind of strong. Right. And I saw these guys, I was like, wait, I'm faster. Why wouldn't I be doing this? Right. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I won the, uh, but what drew you to like organized racing? Versus just being the your, fastest your guy Tuesday on the night, night world type of status, yeah. prestige. So we can throw these race wins out and you have to watch where you step. That's why. That and I just, I like the idea of it. I like the idea of, oh, there's these races. And, you know, if I, it just, honestly, I think that it's kind of starting to touch on one of the reasons I started my own club. Maybe it's just boredom. You know, I, I was leading at that time a very unhappy life. And this was something that I could kind of fill that life with. And these races, these competitions, these big rides, because it wasn't just racing. It was also things like the three-state, three-mountain ride. You know, just these big rides. Was it, was it kind of having those goals to be able to accomplish? That Correct. You weren't able to maybe have in your normal everyday life that you were able to have something to look forward to? Or was it? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> it's a lot of that. But I think at the end of the day, you know, you're either a competitive person or you're not. Sure. And me personally, I'm probably overly competitive. You know, if I'm in something, I'm not there to participate. Right. I'm there to annihilate. Right. Which is probably a character flaw. I should probably work on that. But <laughs> <laughs> but it works in this scenario. Yeah. That's how I'm wired. If you look at my family, there's a lot of people who are really, really good, you know, at a lot of things. Uh, you know, one of my uncles, Golden Gloves. Uh, other uncles or special forces. If you're going to do it, be the best. If it's worth doing, it's worth. And, 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 you know, my best is different than someone else's best. Be the best you can be. Right. I think that's why, you know, that's, that's what kind of pursued me to race. Does that answer your question? Marshall? Yeah. And I was just curious. Cause like, to me, like that's one of those things that you raced, right? Yeah. So why absolutely. did you do it? And like, I wanted to race on an organized level because I ride with the local people every day. Okay. I know how I stack up against them. Sure. I want to see how I stack up up against people I have no clue about. Like Just unknown, yeah, unknown entities. Like how do I compare yeah. to people from Louisville or New York or wherever they're from? Just because I'm the fastest guy or one of the top five fastest guys in this particular city, what does that mean? Sure. You know, and like that's for me, that's what I wanted to see. It's not like, oh, I want to have these wins or these things. It's like, I want to see how I stack up against people that I don't ride with on a regular basis, that I don't know their characteristics. I don't know how to read them. I don't know when they're struggling. I don't know when to, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah. No, I think think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. You just want to measure yourself against unknown entities. What's really funny, though, is, uh, Initially, that's probably where I landed. But when you start racing masters, guess what? You're racing the same 20 guys every right. single race. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And about, you know, six to 10 of them, you know, from group rides and training against each other. Right, right. You know? Of course, those guys were all cat one threes. And I'm, you right. know, at that time was a four five. So, right. uh, again, maybe that was another advantage. But, 
Where were we at? Yeah, going through a really hard time personally. You know, August of 19 was probably the most difficult month of my entire life. Because? Um, definitely a transitional period. Just a lot of things. I was not a happy guy at all. I didn't think I was where I should be, you know, personally, uh, professionally, definitely not happy. Uh, it was, was, was pretty suicidal. The culture of my team, you know, I didn't feel like it suited me. It was a great culture. It just wasn't a good fit for me. And I was already starting to think, you know, I mentioned I've been thinking about for like two years, I need to build something that is mine, right. built on my values and what I want out of this, this being cycling. And by the first of the year, you know, I think I was just kind of going through the motions. You know, I came out of August of 19, I made some some really strong, you know, personal decisions. It's like, all right, either get to live in or get to die in. And I chose to live. Yeah. You know, I, I flipped the script completely. I changed so many things. And was it just that decision, you think, that, I mean, being able to have some achievable goals that you were going after, but also making that decision to go from wallowing in whatever was happening at the time versus, hey, I'm just going to step up and step out or... It was a lot was of there more you know, to that? Was, I think maybe it was a midlife crisis type thing because, you know, that would have made me 45 years old. And you kind of realize that this future, this tomorrow that you're waiting on. It's not coming. It's not coming unless you make it come. Right. It's not going to happen. You have to make it happen. Right. And, you know, personally, I ended some very toxic relationships. Professionally, I kind of flipped the script. You know, I threw caution to the wind and I kind of did the opposite of everything that I'd been doing. And, you know, fast forward five months, I was done with my team. I was done with my job at that time. I had a great new job. I was already talking about just racing unattached. And my friend, my, my good friend of over 20 years, Ron Dawson, we're riding and he's like, you know, when are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? And how, how often were you racing at the time? Like periodically? I mean, was it like Weekly, bi-weekly, monthly. I mean, what was your probably focus? two, three times a month. Okay, you so know, quite in a bit. season. Yeah, yeah. You know, up up to that point, especially cyclocross season, a lot of races there, a lot of crits, mostly just regional stuff. Right. The mountain bike stuff, you know, Dino series, things like that, and then the Ozark Epic in Bentonville, Arkansas. But no, I went on a ride in uh, March of twenty with Ron, and we were discussing it, and I thought. I had already kind of been thinking to myself that, uh, you know, you made it through this dark period of your time, dark period of your life, and how can you not backslide? You know, you want to progress, not regress. Right. And, you know, creating a team based on your own values that would require yourself to hold yourself to a higher standard, that just seemed like the best way. You know, it's like you do all this management training and business training and everything else just in work and school and you learn about accountability buddies and you know getting someone that you check in with and that's how you stay on the straight path and I thought okay what can I do that's going to be really really hard let's make the world our accountability buddy right and so I was I was already just kind of stewing on that and you know initially it was just going to be Four or five of us. Mm-hmm. It was going to be four of us is what it was going to be. Actually, it was just going to be Ron and myself. Okay. You know, we were just going to be a two-man gang. And it's like, ah, Justin rides with us. We love that kid. He's hilarious. Let's get him with us. And I said, you know, we can't do this without involving Johnny Balding, a good friend of mine at that at that time. Uh, still, still a good friend of mine. What I really wanted to do 
was just create uh, an environment and a vibe that held me accountable to be a, a better person. So it's like, all right, let's just make one rule. Be nice to people, which I've always tried to do, but sometimes I have a hard time with. And then let's just make it accessible because other teams I've seen, it's like, all right, oh, you want to be on our team? Well, what's your what's your results? And you got to do this and you got to go to this event. You got to support this. If you're not doing this race, you got to work this race, things like that. You know, other teams I've, I've seen, there's actually financial re- requirements. You got to pay to join the team. I didn't want any of that. And so, you know, Ron and I just kind of were fleshing this thing out. And we came up with this concept that it was just going to be one rule. Be nice to people. And if you agree to be nice to people, then you could be on the team. So as the four of us, it was Ron, myself, Justin, and Johnny. And we were trying to decide what we're going to call it. And, you know, guys on my old team, when I left, they're like, so you staying here or are you going Ronin? And I'm like, Ronin sounds pretty cool to me. <laughs> Samurai with no master, sign me up. That's kind of what I am anyway. Right. And we, we kind of realized early on, I said, man, there's the four of us, and we're all good guys, but we really need a grown-up here. So we asked our friend Mindy to uh, to so join that, us. That's how the Ronin came? That's how the Ronin came. Or the Ronin name came. To Roger me. that. You I seem, was always scared because like, I You seem of, so disappointed, Marshall. No, no. Like, <laughs> like I always try to figure it out. Because I thought, because it was Ron, and then I was like, so there's, <laughs> there's the first part. And I was like, how does, like, is it Indiana? Indiana, right. I was like, where does the, like, how does this, so now it makes sense. And it's, it's not disappointment at all. And it's like, oh, now I can quit wondering. The cherry blossoms weren't a giveaway? No. <laughs> I just thought they were pretty flowers on a stick. <laughs> I wish I was as thin as a stick. Uh, but you know, we, we just created this concept. We created this concept for our club and all that was kind of secondary. The, the catalyst for the whole thing, you know, was my good friend, Ron. We went on a ride. We were talking about it. We were at, uh, public greens. I ordered all this food and I sit down. He ordered, I think a coffee. (laughs) And, uh, I was like, Oh man, I forgot my wallet. And he grabs a check and he goes, I got it. We're doing this club. And that was it. That's all it took. That was your obligation. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the start of Ronin. But yeah, the whole concept of just be cool, it's been great. And it really resonates with people. It started out with five of us. And then I'm not even sure how word got out. I know that you know guys were like, oh, you're not on your old team. Are you doing a new team? I was like, yeah, I'm actually doing my own team. And they're like, oh, okay. And then, you know, it, it just word of mouth, guys I haven't ridden with in like three years reaching out, calling me, Hey, I heard you're doing a team. What's up? So we talk about it and then they want on board. And I'm like, what's really funny is when I first called Johnny and I was starting to pitch him to be on our team, I think I got about seven words in and he goes, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> and he knew where you're going before you know where you're <laughs> Yeah. Cause he's a very smart guy. Yeah. You know, he's a fireman. And, uh, as a result, he's kind of, he's just kind of reserved. He doesn't get rattled. Sure. And I need that in my life. And he probably knows me better than I know myself. I think he knew the potential he here. It. Yeah. And he says, you know, this is going to turn into something. And so then we started uh, messing around with the costume. We're designing the kit. And people think, oh, wh- what's with purple and everything else? And here is, this is an exclusive for the uh, Psychology Performance Lab podcast. <laughs> the Ronin kit was designed to match the uh, 
purple ionine hubs on my bench. <laughs> nice. So, so you, you build a whole kit around. But what did you like first? Purple or the hubs? Both. Both. So if you didn't have those hubs, would it have still been purple? I don't know. I, I can't answer that. You know, we talk about fate left and right, different different uh, forks in the road. I, I don't know. The reason I got those purple hubs is, you know, before that I had the Rockstar Tarmac with the purple pink crazy 80s, you know, hair metal nightmare paint job and a custom helmet. And we were building this bike. And, and the reason I built this Venge is I almost died descending Skyuka in the rain with rim brake wheels. And so I needed a disc brake oh, here bike. We here we go. Needed a disc brake bike. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Brad at Matthews, I was like, you know, if we're going to do a custom build, let's, let's not do black, black hubs. Everybody has black hubs. Let's, we got a, we got some color here and he's like, Oh, check this out. You know, I nine just has a purple and he shows them to me and I'm like, shut up and take my money. Let's do this. <laughs> so yeah, we go with the purple hubs and then we just kind of built a Ronin kit around that. That's, that's, that's the true story. But you know, there was some other considerations, you know, we wanted to make sure that our color of our kit was unique to to Indiana, we did lift some design elements from uh, from other teams. What are the what is that they say? Great artists steal. Right, right. There you go. But when the when the we do, uh, we do. <laughs> <laughs> when we put the first design out for the kit and we just kind of posted it, then it was like the floodgates open. Everyone was like, "Hey, uh, what do I need to do to be on your team?" Right. And I'm like, "Nothing." Just agree to be nice. Is that so hard? You're already a nice person. You're already on the team. You just haven't. Uh, you're not you officially know, wearing the kit yet. Signed on the line yet. Right. Um, but it, it, yeah, it just it it grew. This is just supposed to be me and my three knucklehead buddies, and then Mindy making sure that the the female, the woman. Right. So when she saw us about to do something stupid, she's a like, whoa man. You know, keep us <laughs> keep, keep us in the up. lines. Yeah. We now have seventy five members. Wow, that's insane. In nine states. And, you know, we've been around for a little over two years. You know, we're borderless. Uh, I mean, I mean, at this point, do you know all the people on the team? or is it- I think I'm the only one who knows every single person. Okay. There is one, there's only one person I've never met. Her name is uh, Kristen. My brother referred her. She's an Army service person. I don't know what's the, what's the correct terminology there. She's the only person I've not met. Everybody else, you know, I've raced with or ridden with or met or... Yeah, it's just been great. We're just kind of a borderless collective. You know, I don't even really consider us a team or you can call us a club. But I like to say that we are all-inclusive, non-exclusive. You know, anyone who wants to be part of our collective is welcome to do so. And they can still be on other teams as well. We have two or three people who, you know, race on other teams at really high levels that said, no, 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 leave me on the Ronin roster. Yeah, I'm going to race on this club because you give me a couple of bucks to do so. But I like the vibe right. that you you all are trying to achieve. Where did be nice turn into just be cool? It just sounds cooler. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not arguing. Where did, just, where did be, be nice turn into just be cool? Probably two semesters of marketing and business school. That's where. <laughs> <laughs> this hashtag's better, so we're going to do this. Yeah. You know, I started out life wanting to be a musician or an artist, turned graphic artist, and then I thought, ugh, that's a really hard way to make a living. I'm always interested in architecture, and I'm decent at math, so let's get into that. Yeah, you asked me what 16 plus 16 was. It's 32. I'll just go ahead and take care. For, for comedy. For, for comedy. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
But, you know, yeah, we, we wanted to bring some some design elements to the kit. You know, people are like, oh, how about uh, Ronan Wheelman? And I'm like, man, there's a Wheelman club everywhere. Every yeah. single, but there's only one Vela Sport, Ronan Vela Sport. And, you know, that's unique. That just comes, again, from just branding, branding, marketing. Wanted to create something that just sounds cool. I'm, I'm in this for the costumes. I really am in the good times. And the shoes. I do have purple shoes. Thanks for bringing that up. Well, I mean, I just that. shoes in general, like not just your shoes. Are you making? Oh, oh like, your shoes too? Yeah, like I'm in it for the shoes. Like, <laughs> what kind of shoes are you wearing right now? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's definitely discerning. But I'm not on my bike. Oh, you you limit this to the cycling? Yeah, like oh, I'm in. Okay. Like, oh, you got purple, so now I can get a different pair of shoes to go with purple. Marshall does have more shoes that he's never worn when it comes to cycling shoes of anybody I know. Yeah. I only have one pair I've actually never worn. Which is more than anybody else I know. <laughs> so why, why do you not wear these? Are these enshrined somewhere? No, it was a limited edition that you had to like be at a certain level to even qualify to get. What level was that? It's Cheater. Through a, training, <laughs> through a training program and all that stuff. Well, congrats on achieving that, my friend. Yeah. So, like, certified mechanic talk here. Yeah. Like, they're kind of a YouTube (laughs) special edition. (laughs) YouTube mechanic certified shoes. Uh, That's hilarious. But, yeah. So, like, I didn't really need them. I wasn't even looking for new shoes, but I got an email about, like, hey, you can buy these if you want them. And I was like, okay, only a certain level of people, like, as far as training wise qualify for this so i'm gonna go ahead and buy them i never had any intentions of wearing them they're still sitting in the box i've had them since like october so if i'm hearing you correctly you you bought these as a flex you just never flexed no it's more of like (laughs) it's it's like your trophy concept like i bought it because it's something that i in my mind i put the effort in and earned I feel you, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I bought them so I could so uh, give it to me for free. You can hang the medals on the wall. That's why. Right. Well, maybe maybe he'll hang thing. the shoes on the wall. I mean, who knows? That, yeah, make that's why I asked box. if they were enshrined. Right. Make yeah. a shadow box, put them in there. Get them bronzed like our parents did with our baby shoes. The, exactly. Well, you, that will kind of ruin the color, though, won't it? Yeah, yeah that, would, that, would be, that. that would be a backwards step. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, circling back to the costume, you know, we did go with the purple just because that's what color bike I have. And now I, I just loved it. I did try to get, you know, something that would, when, when I was laying out the design of the kit, I wanted something that would be classic in design. I tend to go to classics. You know, I, I think if you get too busy, you kind of date things. And I wanted something classic that would age well. And then the other part of it was uh, just the cherry blossoms. You know, that's always kind of been a personal thing for me. Uh, with with a martial arts background, a lot of martial artists in my family. Um, How does that tie to, like, I don't get that. Because in Japan, the cherry blossom symbolizes the ephemeral nature of life. Okay. And that is why the blossoms are on the kit. That's why they're on the sock. Because it's a reminder that we're here for a very short time. And, uh, you know, I almost went a different way in August of 19. And I'd I'd forgotten that. And I survived that. And I wanted a constant reminder, you're not here for long. So enjoy your life, you know, try to make the best life that you can try to help people where you can. But most of all, just be nice to people. If everyone follows that rule, again, not, not always perfect. 
And it's, it's actually really funny, you know, with the whole just be cool motto. People love to slag you on that. Oh, my gosh. No, I, I have it on the back of my bike, and, and I, I get people constantly. The, the, yeah. the, oh, <laughs> just be cool, you know. Yeah. Oh, they mock you. The president of my former team, the first time I rode with him after I formed Ronan, he mocked me about that. Just be cool. Oh, we're just being cool. And I'm like, uh-huh. That's why I'm on this team and not on that team. That's a shot. We may have to cut that out in post, post-production, but. <laughs> that was definitely stained. <laughs> uh, no names to protect the guilty. Right. I, I know from other avenues I've been in, obviously, I don't have my own cycling team, but I have ran other teams. And this is the part where I stop you momentarily and go, you do have your own cycling. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Because Ronan belongs to us, not me. You're correct. All right, please You're continue, correct. my good man. I have been on both sides, even within the same team, of coming out like warriors. We're the best. We're coming here to rule this nest and doing that, yeah. accomplishing that and walking away and being mostly hated, but also gaining the respect of the people kind of outside that circle because they see what you accomplished. Yeah. But then... When I took that, because I got so much internal flack from people of how they didn't like that, so I kind of turned the direction of that team into one that was more of the just be cool, we're going to share what we our knowledge, everything else, and it lowered the overall level of hate, perhaps, yeah. but then it lost the level of respect oh. to a point where it also kind of got into the the opposite side where then it turned into, well, they're just not trying now or they've lost their edge or, you know, all that kind right. of thing. So do you feel like being on teams before being that you were very team oriented all the way through this, do you feel like you got flack in Ronin that you weren't expecting after doing it? Yeah, to a certain extent, you know, with my previous team is very insular. You know, we kind of only rode and trained with each other. There weren't a lot of open group rides where there were people from other teams. And when I would wear that kit and go to other group rides that were not only that team, it was weird. Like I'd ride up and you could see people looking away and kind of turning their noses. And then it's like, all right, got to work hard here, do my social jujitsu, show these guys I'm a nice guy. Right. And then they either liked me or thought I was a jackass. Either one, I'll take it. You know, was it Phil Guyman said, if you're going to be a jackass, at least be a funny jackass. <laughs> That's what I strive to bring to it. Right. When I started Ronan, yeah, there was a lot of polarization, and I was actually surprised. I was surprised how many people actually knew who I was or who I am, and it, it kind of shocked me at times. I think that for every person who loves what we're doing and wants to be part of what we're doing, there's probably four or five that kind of just have this weird disdain. And why do you think of that? Why? Yeah, why do you think uh, that is? I, I don't know. Yeah. I, wish, I wish I knew. I certainly work hard to try and break that down. You know, I smile a lot. I try to smile a lot, even when I'm in a in a really bad mood or hurting. You know, I, I don't know if you heard or not, Clifton, but I have a central spinal stenosis. I wish you had told me earlier. That's yeah. the first time I've heard this. <laughs> <laughs> today, today. But well, I, um, I don't know why. And, and I'm not looking for a deep answer here, but I've, I feel like you, I you, you, you it, can get as much flack for being the nice guy as being the hard ass. And it seems like sometimes, I don't, I don't know if people think it's a lack of, a lack of being authentic or if it's something that you're trying to be better than us and you're not. So we're going to put that down. I, I It could be that. I think a lot of it is personal. 
And I think it's, it's geared towards me and I, and I earned it. I earned a lot of it. You know, I've, I've, uh, done and said things, you know, that I'm not proud of. I tend to kind of run either a two or an 11. You know what I mean? I, I wish I was kind of always on five or six, but is when, this, when things like, happen, they happen. Is this like race to, uh, related in the heat of the moment stuff or like just both. banter or okay. both? Yeah. yeah I've, I've had some crazy things happen in races that, you know, I just, the red mist descends and then afterwards I look around and I see everyone uh, looking at me in shock and it's like, yeah, I'll just go ahead and prepare, <laughs> prepare my, uh, Written apology now. <laughs> yeah. I was going to go over here, load up my bike, and leave. Thanks, bye. Yeah, but I mean, in all reality, like you grew up as a competitive athlete, right? Right. That's part of being a competitive athlete. Like, there is, but there like, are limits. Well, like you're there to do a thing, no matter what that thing is, whether it's yeah. martial arts, you're there to beat up someone else, whether you're friends that- or not. Like your job is. So like and they do say sport is another form of warfare. Right. But, like, you know, perhaps uh, I took that a little too literally like when at you're, times. <laughs> when you're out there competing, it's totally different than when the event is over. Yeah. Well what's what's really funny is uh a gentleman on our team, his name's Josh Ball, mountain bike racer, super nice guy, total lone wolf. You know, when he reached out about joining the squad, I was I was elated. I was elated. I was over the moon. He's just just a stellar guy, stellar racer. You know, I've never seen anyone just work as hard as he works. He's had some adversity the last couple of years, you know, some some physical things, and he's just powered through. Yeah. Just powered through. He's racing again this year, and he's doing great. He's doing better than he was before his ailments. He was telling me, he had a conversation with someone in the cycling community, and uh, it's like, well, who are you racing with now? It's like, oh, I joined Ronan. And he's like, oh, that's Mike Baker's thing. Huh. He's not very popular in the cycling community. And I was like, but you know my name. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's probably why 50 people joined the team that I just started. But, you know, <laughs> I, I get it. You know, I have my detractors and that's fine. You know, I, I'm pretty happy with me these days. Sure. I think I'm on the road to be a better person. Yeah. And that was the whole catalyst Point behind of the this, team. Yeah. yeah. But I, to answer your original question, I don't know why. I wish I did. If they could just send me an email and say, hey, Mike, you did this. I will happily apologize. I will make amends. <laughs> I will. I will grovel. Yeah. Should we talk about how I met you guys? Sure. Do you remember how you met me? I, I only know you because I of asked Marshall. that as a leading question, Marshall. <laughs> I I remember very well. It was insanely hot, and I was ready to leave, but I didn't because. Well, where were you leaving? Where I, I'm? Well, I I don't know this. Marshall and I, Marshall and I met at uh, Indycrit in 2019, and uh, his daughter Ruth thought I was a jungle gym. And <laughs> thanks everyone else. Uh, yeah. like, you're not limited on that. So it's okay. she was the most precocious kid and she was adorable. She was blonde and he was so embarrassed. And the more embarrassed he got, the more I was encouraging her. Oh yeah, come on, jump here. Can you jump over me this way? And- <laughs> but I think that the, the connecting link there was uh, my daughter was on an elite women's team and uh, Sarah Sheeter, local Evansville racer. She was doing like a guest spot on that team or maybe she was on that team. And I don't know. Something happened trainer wise. She was, uh, she was working out. Sure. She was warming up rather at our little Sarah Sheeter. Okay. At our, well, uh, she borrowed my trainer, which is why I was there. I was getting there. Okay. I don't know if you remember like <laughs> how I ended up. We got a lot of time to fill here, but yeah. I was, uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's where Marshall and I met. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, Oh, this guy's hilarious. And they were Facebook friends. And then we just start chatting on Facebook and I'm like, man, this guy is really funny. 
And then it's like, hey, what are you doing next year? It's like, oh, I'm starting my own club. And he said he was starting his own club. Do you remember that conversation? I do. You remember and then sending COVID me? COVID uh, happened and it all fell apart. Is that what happened with your team? Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer, man. I mean, we had, luckily it, you landed on your feet it was on Ronan. Very, <laughs> like it was a small team on purpose. It was basically yeah. just a crit team. Yeah. But you sent me a picture of your kit. You're like, hey, check this out. And you sent me a picture of your kit concept. And I was like, wow, it's cool. It's like, if I remember correctly, it was like uh, like neon colors, like a lot of green. Sort of. It was like, a, not true like neon neon, but it was like bright blue. With green, right? Bright green. Yeah. And it had gir- giraffe print. Yeah. He, he, he got his inspiration. Like, you got your inspiration from your hubs. He got his inspiration from his Klein bikes. That <laughs> Actually, no. Where taste I, the rainbow. Where I, like, I really kind of took the 2018-19 Butcher Box kit and just reimagined it. Kind of a weird choice for a vegetarian, but... I mean... You gotta bring that up. I'm just saying, like, I really like their design. Like, I thought it yeah. was really, really good. No, nothing wrong with that. Uh, no, and I thought your design was really good. And I remember you said, hey, uh, I said, oh, that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's really badass. And uh, we talked a little bit. And then I sent you a picture of my concept. And you just sent an uh, email back. Uh, you got room on your squad for one more. And I was like, right. yeah, absolutely. So that's how we met. And then I think like a month later, you said, oh, this other guy named Clifton. Right. He's interested in in what we do and our our vibe and what we're trying to and bring like, to the cycling we had community. Just met, yeah, it was pretty like recently. within a couple months because yeah. we had just met and then he was like, "Hey, you should you should check out this Ronan thing that's going on." Because when did you get like back into riding? Like it was seriously mid twenty twenty. Yeah. I mean, my my first group ride was mid twenty twenty. Yeah, so like he posted a thing on Facebook about getting his bike worked on. Why would he need to do that? <laughs> Because I don't know what I'm... Well, the bike was also, you know, from the, like, 90s. No. Sorota was... That's kind of where right, I was nice going. speed record. Right. Yeah. And I mean... Didn't really shift all that good because it hadn't been worked on for... It's like he's years. posting messages on Facebook. Can anyone come work on my 1920s steam-powered bicycle? <laughs> Is there a specialist? <laughs> well, he wasn't even really, like, seeking out someone. He was just asking, like, where's a good place to take it? Right. And I just, like... And just kind of... Took it upon myself to say, like, hey, man, I've been in this game a long time. Like, if you want to bring it by, I'd be more than happy to take a look at it. And I think the main and thing it, was around because it was campy. And yeah. he was like, hey, I'm a campy certified, right. you know, tech. Yeah. I can take care of that. Probably I was the like, the only one in Evansville. Yeah. The only one in a or lar- large Indiana. region. <laughs> in northern Kentucky. The only one in a 150-mile radius. Right, yeah. yeah. The next one is where you live. <laughs> What's funny? So, Would that be Indianapolis, Indiana? Right. Yeah. right. What's What's funny is I actually got the bike from Indy from a guy. The bike's a two. I don't even remember what year it is. 1997, 19, 1997, I think. The guy I got it from lives in Indy, and he he put it up for sale like two months or so before COVID, and then he like knocked the price down, and then I ended up like basically doing a barter trade with him for the bike. And but he he had bought it new. His wife had got it for him as a wedding present when they got married. The dude's like in his you know fifties or something now, and he got new track. No, no. <laughs> oh, the disdain! I, lo- I love I love how you said that though. <laughs> the contempt. Man, what they make a fine bike. I like it. So anyway, 
he got a new nice bike. I mean, it was it was beautiful. But I mean, this bike was this bike was in great condition and everything. But I mean, it had been he he rides. You know, I, I, we're friends on Strava or whatever, and he rides like sixteen miles a week, once a week. And that's 16? 16? 16, Yeah, okay. <laughs> not six D. No, 16. I mean that's that's yeah. still more than I ride right one now. But six. I mean, you know, hey, yeah. I was just making sure I heard it right. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to overdo it, right? Right. <laughs> I would imagine that most of the parts on this bike were still original. Probably everything, you know, it didn't all work quite correctly. But yeah, Mar- Marshall helped me out fairly quickly on that. And then, you know, I, I started getting more serious in it. And like you, I was like, hey, I'm actually kind of okay at this. I can actually keep right. up with these guys that I never dreamed I would be able to do and then be competitive at it as well. And because of what I do in my day job all the time i mean i'm already kind of in that competitive team oriented type of thing and the whole ronin concept before i'd met you or anything i mean it all made sense on paper real fast and the fact that marshall was behind it you know made it easier but yeah i mean that's i think how this kind of thing grows organically It, it i would never want to be on a team that had expectations for me or anything else because that's not you know who Sucks I am the now. Fun out. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. But if if we're all here in it together and have resources now because of Ronin, I now have friends that I haven't met just through Facebook, social media, the team and everything else. Oh yeah. That There's I feel like lots can, of people I talk to that I've never seen right. That just I have on social media. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, past my phone screen. Right. Yeah. I mean the, <laughs> the resources that have come just because of being there and that identity, just having the sticker on my bike. I mean, I've had people that I ride with all the time be like, oh, Mike Baker, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he suckered you in. Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, That's but hilarious. Pe- people, have li- people that I normally ride with have talked to me on a different level yeah. just by seeing the sticker it, that, you know, are here, that I know. But it's... See, I'm good at branding. I don't know why I'm messing around architecting. Like right. it should be a billboard design. <laughs> billboard design. That's the future, man. Well, there you go. Yeah. There's your graphic arts right there. No, it's if if you just if you look at kind of the sense of altruism that I was trying to achieve yeah. with this club, you know, it really has just brought in a very uh, diverse and eclectic group of individuals. And it's, it's just funny. Sometimes I, I I look at Ron and I'm like, you realize we're probably the most diverse cycling team. I mean, we're multicultural, we're multigender. If you look at walks of life, Mm -hmm. we have, you know, people that do what you guys do, bike mechanic, whatever it is you do, Clifton. (laughs) Nobody knows. (laughs) Uh, We have two policemen, Mm -hmm. firemen, lawyers, doctors, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And you know, it's, it's, it, it harkens back to the original point of cycling. It crosses all those, you know, socioeconomic boundaries traditionally. And it's something that you can do your whole life at, at some level. But But see, uh, that's something like that idea, what you just said has always been a true statement to me, but has also been one of those things that sticks out as almost an irritant to me with how people perceive cycling, they perceive it as this high income activity. Right. And it's not like you can make any, I can make collecting matchbox cars really expensive if I want. Sure. I can make cycling as expensive as I want, or I can make it as reasonable as I want. Sure. 
it's not that you're and to that same end, it's really not the bike, it's the rider. Right. And it's like it's not a it's not a an activity where you're like only this group of people. It's the only people in it are the people who have been exposed to it. Most people aren't going to get into cycling if they've never been around someone who's into cycling. It's funny too when you say that it's something you can do for your whole life because I feel like that's been one of my biggest fears at this stage of my life, maybe obviously I'm not old, but I'm not 20 either. But I guess my concern with putting everything into something athletic has been what happens if, you know, what if you right. put your whole entity around this thing and something happens where you can't ride a bike tomorrow, you know, yeah. then where does that leave you? And I think maybe that's where a lot of this comes in with having that, that wider community aspect of it. And that's where a team concept like what Mike built right. really comes into play because if you, you I mean, was you to mean what get we built, into right? a yeah. – well, right, that, that Mike and Ron started. Right, right. Th- thank you. If I was to get into an accident and I couldn't ride, I wouldn't be left out. Right. If I was like, hey, I want to come up and hang out, they'd be like, cool. Absolutely. Absolutely come up and do whatever you can. If it was a true to the word race team and I was like, hey, I can't ever ride a bike again, they'd be like, well, okay, see ya. Yeah. Well, that's it. Not necessary. Yeah. not all of them, but that's that. Well, it depends on how important you were. <laughs> I mean, it, look how quickly Lance Armstrong was thrown by the wayside. So I think you're nobody, none of us are that important. Right. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like you're a, like, it's more of a job. Right. When you're looking at that versus a community concept where like, no, you're right. We're here because we like to be around one another and hang out and ride. And even if you can't ride, I still like you. Like you're still my friend. Absolutely. And like, it doesn't person. matter if you can ride or not. That doesn't change my opinion of whether I like or dislike you. Yeah. No, I think racing is a meritocracy and that's kind of how, you know, the uh, ranks are formed versus just cycling in general, a common interest. And that's kind of the glue that uh, binds us all together. But to your point, I think that, you know, there's been several instances where people couldn't ride and uh, the support and the friendship and the love is there. You know, I can uh, attest to that. You know, December of 2021 taught me that. You know, my my marriage ended. Um, I had a back surgery, and I moved into an apartment. First time ever living on my own at age 47. And I realized within 24 hours that I was not alone. People are like, hey, uh, you know, Chris Ringer, Rona member. He's calling me 7 a.m. on the way to work. It's like, hey, I saw you got a back surgery. You good? You need help getting to and from the the surgery? I got you. You know, other people. Hey, just checking up. You all right? That's that's huge. It's it's amazing. The strength of the pack is the wolf. Strength of the wolf is the pack. Right. Fair. And that will be the Jungle Book with Mike Baker for today. <laughs> that should be on a bumper sticker or a, a poem or something. <laughs> let's wait. Let's we we kind of strayed. You know, as a side, we talked about how Marshall and I met. Why don't we talk about how you and I met? Aside from uh, you. You jumping on the team more along the lines of the first time we actually met in person. We met in St. Louis at a race, right? Basically. I don't, did you did you race in twenty one? What do you mean? I'm setting myself up for uh, some self-aggrandizing praise here. I raced once. Oh, did you? How did that go? 
well, wait. When was the last time you had raced before that? Nineteen ninety-seven. So you took like a long ta- a long time off. How many? How many? He's good at math. Let him do it. <laughs> From nineteen ninety-seven to two thousand twenty. You weren't going to let me get that one in, were you? <laughs> <laughs> more more than a few years. So you didn't race for a long time, and then you just raced. How did it go? Well, I had uh, I had this guy that was in the same race with me that that was able to kind of guide me on when to go and when not to go, and what to do and when to hold back and get out of the way of the pack instead of carrying them around the field. And uh, then did he, he give said, you a lead out? He 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 said let's go, and uh, he went, and I wasn't quite on there so i think i had about 900 watts to catch up with you <laughs> and then we were going at, at a full steam into the final corner which is we all know from watching the youtube videos is the uh the race winning uh move and then he uh, a guy named mike baker was leading me out and uh pulled off graciously and said go 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 and that was that was it is that what i said i thought i said something more like drop the hammer you son of a so-and-so and uh, we might have heard different things. <laughs> once it once it's in the four digit wattage range and you're going into the headwind, you don't really. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about that whole lead up to that race was when uh, Mike Hilliard found out that you were racing with me, and he says, "Just stay on Mike's wheel and be ready to go when it makes absolutely no sense to do That's so." Right. Yes, whenever, I remember that. Yeah, whenever he says it's going to make no sense at all, but just do it. <laughs> Well, and then he was in the same race, and then he tried to pull the uh, pack up to us. Yeah, we opened a gap at one point, and he bridged up to us and brought everybody with him. It's like, all right, you're not wearing the Ronin gig. I I get it, but come on, man. That wasn't cool. We're we're pals here. (laughs) We're all friends. (laughs) Yeah, there was was one guy, I think, was he from Australia? He didn't have a USAC number or anything, and he was like, in, in his 50s and he was just a motor i mean he he went what three laps before maybe and well he, he was off the front with another guy right. and we caught up to him we bridged up to him and then uh when he went again with i think two laps to go i thought there's no way he holds right. that there's no way otherwise i would have chased him down I, well, for I you everybody there was looking at the same thing going yeah. we're going to catch him he's not he's going to keep going yeah but it turns out he was a monster <laughs> and yeah he stayed away and i was like well uh i guess i'll hopefully get this guy second we'll and run her up well co- yeah <laughs> which again for me uh, i mean I, I was never great at anything you know when i was when i was writing yeah. when i was younger so it was actually bigger for me to be able to win from a, a field sprint like that versus uh, i consider that more of a win than if i had been gone yeah. off the front but now that was that was an exciting time and that, and now i don't really know how i follow that up with anything better so i just kind of like i'm scared Retired. yeah it's like there's my one race for 20 years we'll try again another 20 years you know one of my favorite cycling pictures ever came from that race and you're off the front you're in full just smash mode and i'm way back about 80 yards behind you and i was like oh he's got it i'm already celebrating right. my fist say, is in the air is there your your yeah. grand is like pushing yeah. your helmet up i mean <laughs> it was like the, the the joy on mike baker's face at that point <laughs> made the whole thing worth it yeah but that that whole weekend was a delight you know by 21 you know i was having some health problems yeah. I, did i did i mention i have central spinal stenosis did i this, i think, think. it's the first time all right yeah this that's the first time this hour <laughs> But I, I had kind of 
lost my lost my drive a little bit. Yeah. And you know, you're like, hey, my son's interested in racing. I'm doing this race. Why don't you come race with me? Right. And I was like, how about I come race for you? And uh, it just kind of brought it back. And I met you first time, and I met your family, and it was great. You know, at that point, my teenage daughters were just starting to hate dad. And so it was nice to hang out with some teenage kids that thought I was still cool. And, you know, you have boys, which is a different experience uh, than me. I have girls. But, no, it was great. It Chris, was, Chris and Corin were there, too, right? Yeah, my good friend Chris that I ran over in uh, 2020. <laughs> he did not bunny hop. Yeah, fast, you know, rewind to the first minute of this podcast. Right. Uh, he came, and him and Corin, they were, of course, way ahead of me at that point. I think I think Chris might be a cat, too, now. And Corin is... Uh, Going to USAC camp in Europe this summer. That's awesome. Yeah, but how old is he? You make me do math again. No, <laughs> he's seventeen. Okay. Yeah, I believe he's committed to Lindenwood actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, so comes full circle, and it just uh, you know, samurai. The word means to serve, and so it's like, yeah, I had a lot more fun working for you in that race with no intention of winning than uh, than anything, and that kind of. I don't know if I ever told you that. It kind of reignited that fire a little That's bit. Awesome. Yeah. And then you came back to win that race later, right? Was it that one or was it Indy? No, I, that was Indy Crit. Had been chasing Indy Crit since uh, 16. Indy Crit was the first race I ever did. That was a funny one. They It was a Cat 5 Citizen race. No idea what I was doing. And I asked guys, uh, Chris Richter, he said, just settle into your pace and uh, just try and find a wheel and stay there. So they blew the whistle. I went to my pace. By the time I got to the third turn, I looked. I was 100 yards ahead of everybody. <laughs> so I kept going for about three laps until Chris yelled to shut it down and get back to the pack. So that's what I did. And I think I finished 19th. That was uh, 2016. Did Indy Crit September 11th. Uh, took all the knowledge I'd gained at that point, the training that Ryan Knapp put me through. And uh, I think I won by like 30 yards, 40 wow, yards. It was nice. great. It's a great video of it. Have you seen it, Marshall? I saw it earlier, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone else wants to see it, he'll be glad yeah, to show you. Yeah, we're trying to get that global. <laughs> but after that, another guy I know, he's like, oh, you won by a lot. I think you're sandbagging. You need to cat up. And I said, that's a good idea. So I cat it up, and then I retired. <laughs> Why not finish on top? So people say, you're a cat three. What's your record? Oh, never lost a race. <laughs> As a cat three. <laughs> As a cat three. Yeah. So, so what has been your most memorable moment? Not, not necessarily time, but moment or thing that's happened to you in cycling. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, that's easy, and it's Maybe. not what people think. I was in a crit, and it was my former team's crit. I think it was the second lap. Maybe the third lap. I think it was. I think it was the second lap. Start of the third lap. Start of the third lap. First turn, and I kind of... I need bath. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I this, feel this like we're off. like 16 laps in. Uh, right. It was a pretty short course, and it was the start of the third lap, and I kind of, it was, you know, it's like, all right, you guys are going really slow. It was a master's race. It's like, you guys are going really slow. Let's light this up a little bit. So I went, uh, just a little bit at the front, went through the turn. I, you know, come from mountain biking. I've always been able to corner really well. Stubby legs, low center of gravity, 28 mil wide, tubeless tires. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> not to get too technical, not to get too technical. I went and then behind me, I heard, Hey, we're clear. Let's do this. And I turn around and me and this other gentleman, we'd gap the field for by about 40 yards, mm. hit the next turn. I looked back. I said, are you all in? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, let's have a go. And so we just went 
And two-man break, two laps later, I see my daughter's coach, John Singleton. He's signaling me, you're gaining two seconds here, you're losing one there. And I'm looking back and I'm like, we're getting away. And this is so early in the race, they haven't even put the lap counter up. And I look down and I mean, I'm doing about 350 watts. There's just two of us. So we're just trading off every other lap. And I'm like, oh, this was a stupid idea. And we come around again and they put the lap counter up 16 laps. And I'm going, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I almost started crying. This is a terrible idea. (laughs) Yeah. There's way too much of this. Horrible idea. So it's my team's race. Everybody is cheering me on. And I'm like, well, you're in it now. You're either going to win or you're going to die trying. I ended up winning. We won, I guess I should say. It just I asked him two times. I said, hey, this is my team's race. How about I win and, you know, I'll give you second. He didn't respond. I know he heard me. <laughs> but it just so happened that, you know, with the alternating laps, he was uh, leading on the last lap. So I had a nice lead get out. Get yeah. Out. Yeah. And I won. And uh, no big deal. Uh, well, it turns out it was uh, over 50 and over 40 in the same category. Well, he was 50 years old. Oh, wow. And I was only 40. Right. Oh. 45. <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't over 50. No, I wasn't. So afterwards, we're staying. His name's Mick. He's out of Chicago. And afterwards, we're standing there. And uh, I said, go, dude. You're, you're podium. He goes, no, we're together. I go, no, no, no. It's you, your podium's now. Mine is after. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you won over 50. He goes, I won. Oh, well, that's awesome. And I said, did you not know that? And he says, no. And his face just lit up. And he says, Wow, man, I never won a race before. Wow. And I said, Well, you did now, buddy. Now get up there on that step. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, amazing. it was, it was, it really was. And then uh, that was, I think, July. And then, yeah, it was just such a, such a touching moment that uh, just that joy in his eyes, you know, it's like, man, I, I've seen that in my face a couple times and uh, I love it. <clears throat> um, God, getting choked up here. Fast forward to October of uh, 19. I'm at the uh, Hincapi Grand Fondo Greenville. I've just spent the last 45 minutes climbing Mount Skyuka on a tarmac with a uh, 53 39 front cranks. And uh, you're on a 25 1128 rear. Oh, man. So to spin at like 90 right. to try and get up the hill over 300 watts. And uh, yeah, it was, it was miserable. I was so hot. I'm just dying. It was like 45 degrees out. And I mean, I'm covered in sweat, just stripping all the layers off down to my Jersey. I get to the top. I'm like, ah, give me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> and behind me, I hear Mikey B. And I turn around and it was Mick. Oh, nice. And yeah. Big hug. And it was like, God, oh. oh, he's like, oh, this guy helped me win my first race. I'm like, shut up, man. I'm freezing here now. The rain's coming. We got to get down this hill. Yeah. But that was, uh, there's been a lot of other things, but just the sheer joy of, you know, being in a two-man partnership with a guy and he'd never won a race before. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. What, what piece of equipment or bike in general do you wish you still had? (laughs) All of them. (laughs) Really? Yeah. There's not like one standout. You know, my, my first crux I ever got is is a hot pink crux. We called it the love machine. Um, the frame broke, and I still have the frame. They had to cut, you know, like 90% of the uh, drive side chain stay out, but it's it's on my dresser. I love that bike. I wish I still had my Tarmac, the Tarmac that I just sold right. late last year, that purple and pink one. I love that bike. It was a piece of art. 
I never intended to sell it, but, you know, I went through some life transitions and needed some cash. So I had to unload it. And really, I mean, Marshall was having some cramping problems. I know he needed some wheels. So (laughs) I've never wheels on that bike. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I, I did keep the helmet from that tarmac. It was a custom helmet. It was the first custom helmet I ever had. Well, how many are custom shoes you got? Would those be the the CD purple blue yeah. iridescent CD shoes that yeah, look purple? They were, yeah, they're cheap. <laughs> what happened to those? What do you mean? They didn't fit. Something like that. Oh, the purple CDs. Yeah, those were the CD sixties, and I just didn't like the way the closure was, as well as the ones I have now, the vents. I was thinking there was something. You got some custom shoes and didn't like them and sold them. Oh, those the lakes. Okay. The lakes, yeah, that was a blurple, which yeah. wasn't really a purple. And I was on board with the blurple until yeah. CD made a purple. <laughs> and so, yeah, we sold those blurple CD shoes, both pair, mountain and road, because there I'm not go. an animal. I got to be matchy matchy. Right. Right. Yeah. It's all about the costume. So, yeah, I think that I better not uh, start talking numbers. I'll get depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say uh, I did recoup probably about 20% of the cost. (laughs) But you know what? Custom Uh, stuff's fun, right? You got to suffer for your art, right? You got to suffer for your craft. I'm in this for the costumes, and uh, I'm a better person for it. Yeah. Will I probably make stupid decisions like that in the future? Without question. So for somebody who's coming into it who might just now be – getting interested in taking their cycling to the next level, whether that be a junior or a senior, a master, whatever in between, what piece of advice would you give them? Just uh, remember why you're doing it and have fun. You know, if you're not having fun, what are you doing? I think that don't take it too serious Uh, or I think you can take it really serious. Just make sure you're having fun. You know, I I think I took it too serious just because my competitive streak, I didn't want to get embarrassed. At races, so you had to take that training serious. But at the end there, probably at the end of 20, even at the end of 19, early 20, uh, I think that for me it was like almost all about the numbers and I was obsessed with just beating my results in races I'd done. But I'm certainly no expert on all that. You know, I think that everybody has their own journey, their own reason for getting into cycling. But I think that the one thing, you know, I would make sure that people understand is, you know, this is supposed to be fun. So if you're not having fun, Right. And see, like, that's kind of where the whole just be cool mantra or mentality or whatever you want to call it comes in. Ethos? For me. Ethos? Sure. Hashtag. Um, <laughs> like I was saying earlier, like, when you're competing, that's a totally different scenario than when you're not. Yeah. So, like, if you don't like, if losing is not fun to you, then train and compete at a level to where you're having fun, but at the same time, before and after, have the tact and integrity to not be a jerk. You I, can, I had to learn that You can way. go out there. You can go and be cutthroat. You can push the envelope. You can do whatever you need to do for your competitive mentality or structure or whatever in the event, on course, whatever the case may be. Right. But after the fact is whenever it comes into play. Like, are you really that type of person or are you that type of competitor? It's good points. You know, sometimes the two kind of uh, the line gets blurred. Right. I mean, like, I grew up playing hockey 
and you could get into a fist fight in the third period with three minutes left and five minutes after the game, you're fine. Right. Like it's just part of the game. It's part of what you do. Different culture. And once the game is over, like that issue typically is also over. Yeah. Until the next game when you're playing against one another. Then like it's two totally different Sure. relationships or whatever you want to look at it as like yeah at the same time though um you know i mentioned just soccer background martial arts background i always had my best fights and like my get best games about guys that i was really good friends with right really good friends with and then afterwards yeah you go have uh you go hang out and it's it's cool it's like dude that was a good kick my head's still ringing you're buying <laughs> you're buying my big mac <laughs> So, so if somebody is interested in learning more about Ronin, what is their next step on that? That's a good question. Um, I would say just, you know, try and try and ride with people on the team. Just ask questions. Um, it usually, they usually find their way to me. Um, you know, I do have a roster and uh, I do just kind of make sure that uh, there's a little bit of an entree there. I just kind of make sure that I touch base with people personally. Uh, I just say, do you have any questions and do you understand the rules? and do you, you know. read emails? Do you read we're emails? <laughs> I guess Marshall's no longer part of the team. We, we, we can go uh, cut up his jerseys now if you want. Should we explain the? I think oh, you should, man. yes. I th- it's, a, it's a running joke for sure, and anybody who gets the emails knows it. But I don't know if you noticed or not, but I'm a bit long-winded. Uh, I, I tend to chase bunnies. I have a lot to say. Uh, what, what, what can I say? It's really hard to convey... Significant amounts of information in a concise or quick manner. I have certainly gotten better, but sometimes emails would get a little long. And yeah, Marshall would never read more than about the first three sentences. Three sentences? Or I three, think that would be three generous. Words. I mean, it depends on how long the sentences were. <laughs> <laughs> are, they, are they paragraph style sentences? Or run on or like. How dare you, sir? My father was an English teacher. I learned from the best. He gets paid by the word. Yeah. So I, I, you know, now I kind of break the emails out where I have some, you know, bullet points, quick, quick read at the top and then, you know, kind of elaborate. But it got to be a joke where after the salutation, I would, uh, salutation is the closing, right? Your dad was an English teacher. I was trying to set you up there, buddy. (laughs) After the salutation, I would, uh, put like, Hey, Marshall, if you read this, text me the word cool or something like that. And it's like some people would say, why do you why are you doing that? I'm like, is your name Marshall? Then don't worry about it. And it only ever Marshall happened Marshall never once. texted him. It was like, no, yeah. It's like a month later, like 1130 at night. I That's just get a text. It wasn't because Marshall did it. It was because I told him to do it. <laughs> Yeah, it's 11.30 at night. I'm watching YouTube videos trying to fall asleep, and my phone goes, pick it up. It's Marshall. Cool. Like, what's, yeah, what's up, dude? You doing all right? Your email from like five weeks ago. (laughs) Uh, It's pretty epic. But no, I mean, we have a, we do have an Instagram, and that's at Ronan Vila Sport. You know, they can always go there, and I try to post pictures of rides, and things we're doing they can just dm me there but yeah the the main thing is i try to be 
you know, as accessible and uh, as approachable and as gregarious as, as I can be. Someone told me that I'm intimidating, which was hilarious to me. I'm like, really? I'm intimidating and unapproachable? And they said, oh, sometimes. And I said, I just got crazy eyes. That's all that is. I apologize, you know. It's, it's the eyes of your people. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just just DM us at uh, on the Instagram or just approach a member of the team, and they always kind of find their way to me. We've had a lot of growth this year. I think we had five people leave the team and I think nine join. That's great. So, yeah. Brooke Elmore's, uh, she should, she should be a recruiter. You know, she's, oh, I guess she is a recruiter, a Ronin recruiter, but, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of her friends kind of see what we're doing and they really like the vibe and they've, they've joined the club and I love having them. And I assume you're, it's probably the easiest softball question ever, but I mean, your vision with the future of Ronin is basically just continue what you've done. Right. I mean, that's not, (laughs) there's not a grand scheme. I, I assume here, because that's not what it's about as much as. I didn't think we'd get this far. I never, I never had any plans for this. This, this is going to be me and uh, you know my knucklehead buddies. We were going to monetize this, get some money to support our hobby, and you know COVID happened, and we kind of went a different way with that whole concept. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any end in sight. I think that uh, the team is growing. I think it'll always continue to grow because you know of what it's built on. I, I keep saying team, but really it's just a collective. It's a collective. Man, that's of the word I was just thinking. Like-minded individuals. I'm in your brain, Marshall. And uh, that you know, I've I've uh, been looking at some changes, potential changes to my career. Uh, my long-term goal is definitely to relocate to someplace more conducive to a cycling lifestyle. You know, I rode. 78 miles urban in Indianapolis uh, last week. And I think my total elevation gain was like 1,100 feet. (laughs) (laughs) That that was a one bridge, right? Yeah. But, uh, and I can see myself probably living in Bentonville, Arkansas one day, maybe a Greenville, South Carolina, maybe a Phoenix. But I think that, you know, Johnny and I have talked about this. What happens with the team if I relocate? And I just kind of said again that, you know, this does not belong to me. This belongs to us. I might be the shot collar slash lightning rod right. co-founder of this thing, but you know, it'll just continue to germinate. So if I show up in Bentonville, I'll probably end up being some Ronin in Bentonville. Uh, eventually if uh, other people, you know, relocate, that's already kind of happened. People relocate and then it's like, Hey, this guy I ride with, he wants to know about the team. And then next thing you know, you're selling jerseys to a guy in New York that you've only talked to on the phone. It's really weird, but I just see it to continue to grow. Again, there's no set agenda other than to just continue the mission of the team. And that's just to be cool, be nice, put some positive vibes in the world. Yeah.